Magamaroo. It's the Richard Pryor Show Star Wars Bar that you put together. Bartender Richard Pryor and other action figures each sold separately. You can make them move on revolving discs with the action lever. You can even make them fall. Your wife wants you to go home, but I'm just dancing. Fuzz, help me! Coming to help. What's the problem? Is that the devil? I'm in love. Wow, what a weird place. Kenner's new Richard Pryor Show Star Wars Bar from the Richard Pryor Show. Action figures each sold separately. Episode number 162 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And this week we are happy to welcome back our friend, our unofficial third host from Regal Robot and Tom Spina Designs, Mr. Tom Spina himself. Do I get unofficial pay for being an unofficial (laughs) third host? Because I feel like I feel like, you know, more than just credit. Yeah, the the unofficial check is in the mail. Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite kind. Thank you so much. Hey, yeah, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. Always uh, a blast. Uh, no pun intended. Oh. It was, the, the feeling is mutual. Today we are exploring a topic not talked about enough in Star Wars history, the infamous 1977 Richard Pryor show Star Wars Bar skit. I think we mentioned it like the first time we talked to you last year. But it's been on my mind ever since then. It's one of those magical things that you look at and go, wait, this really did. This happened like this is this. This actually occurred. And there's what's weird is, you know, so, OK, kids today, <laughs> I'll go I'll go immediately into the kids today mode. But kids today don't realize like we didn't have access we grew up, and this sort of thing, if you didn't catch it in 1977, you never knew it happened. Uh, and decades go by, and you maybe catch a, an image here or a mention there, and it becomes this weird mythical thing that you 
wait, what? They were did this now? Well, it wasn't like they had the real aliens or anything. And then, you know, the Internet comes along. And after a few decades of that, all of a sudden, this video just pops up out of nowhere. And you just, wait, what? I think the weird thing with the prior skit is, you know, like we all had those like convention VHS tapes and like they all each one of them, I think, had like the Donnie Marie show on them. And we all had like holiday special tapes. Yep. But nobody had ever really seen this Richard Pryor show skit before. Yeah, it it feels like it's it's so strange to hear about something like this so long after it happened. And it starts to put things together for you, too. You know, when you start seeing stuff like, oh, OK, so these these masks were here at this time and this was before this or after that. And you can you really start putting stuff together. Just it's it's like a missing puzzle piece. Like, where have you been all my life? Richard Pryor's Star Wars bar special. <laughs> I think part of the crazy thing, too, is that of the like the holiday special or Donnie Marie and this, this is like the best of the three too. Like it's genuinely, it's funny because it's Richard Pryor. It's like, if there was one that we should have seen over and over again, all these years, this is the one of the three that we really should be have been watching. And somehow it was the one that was the hardest to find for so long. Yeah. I, I eventually, I want to say it wasn't until, Oh, it's, it's, I, I don't know when it came out on DVD, but eventually they did put out a DVD you know, two, two disc or three disc set of the Richard Pryor show. And it was on that. And that was the first time I really got to see it prior to that. I, no pun intended. I had, you know, heard about it somewhere. I read about it somewhere, but I'd never seen the thing. And then I'm just trying to put together how it goes that long before this thing really cycled out. Cause it's, I don't think it's really been in the collective sort of fan consciousness for much longer than a decade at this point. Like it's, it, it really just hung out in the wings for a long time before it came back. I wonder if that was because this prior show only lasted for like four episodes. And I don't, I don't think any footage of this ever existed before those DVDs came out. Like, how weird is it that he even had a TV show on NBC, on, like, network television, in 1977? That must have been a challenge for the censors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, and, and I'm sure that's something to do with it. It's, it is a, it's a weird thing to think about any show, no matter who was in it, to go... Okay, a show that only lasted a few episodes and is decades old. Yeah, let's put a release out. You know, like that's a that's a weird decision from a marketing point of view for anyone. You know, when it's somebody like Richard Pryor, I guess it's just any tidbit of that, any you know, any rarity is something fans want to look for. And it's just funny that you now not just have the Richard Pryor fans going for those DVDs, but the Star Wars fans <laughs> who we all know love rarities. So yep. there you go. So it was the first skit of the very first episode. It aired September 13th, 1977, but it wasn't originally the first skit. Like originally it was going to start with Richard Pryor against like, just like a plain background. 
and it kind of looked like he didn't have a shirt on until the camera like panned back to reveal that his bottom half like looked like a Ken doll. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was all like blanked out. Yeah. And I supposedly NBC saw this and was like, no, 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 you can't do that. So then the, the Star Wars bar skit actually became the very beginning of the very first episode. Which is just an amazing opening. And the fact that it triggered the very thing it was a commentary on. <laughs> Uh, you know, is just a, a, a certain level of genius. It, the, the, I mean, his cold open, not the Star Wars bar. <laughs> right. And it's super weird that it aired on September the 13th, and just 10 days later, on September 23rd, was the Donnie Marie show. Right. Which is <laughs> such a, a departure. <laughs> And Star Wars was still large and in charge there in September 77. It was still playing in theaters. People were still flocking to go see it. So was was this just like Charlie Lippincott just out there pushing his thing to more more markets? Star Wars publicist Charlie Lippincott? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's, I, I try to think about it in today's terms, like, September for a movie that came out in May is the equivalent of Friday for a movie that came out Friday morning. <laughs> like the, uh, you just, a movie comes out. If you are not, if you're not seeing some sort of coverage or tie in the same weekend, it came out, they're not even going to bother doing anything. And so just to think that, that here's a film that they're still cross promoting, you know, months later, is really impressive. I mean, it's, some of that speaks to just, you know, power of the force, but some of it is just the time and how different that is from now. And so there were no Lucasfilm archives yet. There were no one was thinking in that way. Yeah, or maybe they were starting to think of it. I don't know. But this is all before the holiday special. So after Star Wars was done, who had these masks and how did they end up getting to be on the Richard Pryor show? And that's an excellent question. I've actually been asking people. I asked, um, I, we're, we're working on uh, something with Phil Tippett for Regal Robot right now. And in preparation for tonight, I was like, oh, dummy, ask Phil. Um, and uh, he, he just said, I have no idea. Uh, he wasn't involved. I was, I, my questions were, you know, it's like, do, do you know anything about how this came to be, how the mask got to it? And were, you know, you were anyone you know on set for it. And he had no idea. Uh, I, my guess is what, well, were they in pre-production on the holiday special at this point? That's a good question. Probably. I don't know. Because I, my, my thought was always that these, you know, were things that were out for the holiday special and then used for other things along the way. You know, you get the, Oh gosh, was it was it Vogue that had Snaggletooth in the Tuscan Raider robe with the models like doing the photo shoot and C three PO and all of that? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Gabe, any thoughts? What do you think? No, I don't think I've ever seen. That. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. I just started to sweat. So yeah, there was a magazine spread shot, uh, a shoot that had, if I remember right, there was a Jawa. There was a Snaggletooth wearing a Tuscan Raider robe with, like, a, a model wearing fur. 
Um, <laughs> it, it's it's very sort of it's super eighties looking. Uh, yeah, Vogue nineteen seventy seven Star Wars. So yeah, there's there's Darth Vader, there's oh, Snaggletooth, yeah. there's a Jawa. This is all stuff that's got to be happening around the same time. So the Jawas come back to the U.S. after the shoot because they had to do the Death Valley shoots uh, shots. Greedo comes back, possibly along with Snaggletooth at the same time. Not sure for when uh, Baker's team did the reshoots and reworked Greedo. I never saw Snaggletooth in with any of that stuff. So my guess is it might have come back later. There, There are some shots that... I think it was Phil Tippett had that uh, were of the uh, it was John Berg and Rob Bottin and Phil kind of goofing around in somebody's backyard. And they had a table full of monsters, including uh, Snaggletooth with no hair at that point. So those shots happened at some point after the Richard Pryor show, but before the holiday special where Snaggletooth had gotten his new monk's haircut and redone skin. Muftak was in those shots. Uh, also, some of the fish from Piranha were in those shots, like the puppets and, and like wearable head <laughs> mask fish. Those guys know how to party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, all this stuff is sort of swirling around at the same time. But yeah, so seeing the Richard Pryor show was kind of like, it's either that or this Vogue shoot would be the last time this Snaggletooth mask looked this way. Because by the time we get to the holiday special, just a couple months later, he's got the monk's haircut, the retextured skin, the new paint, and uh, and his snazzy red outfit and belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know, I'm trying to remember when these floated up. This I, I feel like this is something, I, I knew nothing about this Vogue shoot until... It's about five or six years ago when we were prepping for one of the cantina panels at Star Wars Celebration. And it was like, oh, these are going in the panel. (laughs) 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 Which now I'm I'm knee deep in preparing for the next one. So, so yes. So back to prior. So I, I, I liked, I liked what you were saying before, like, you know, I feel like the Richard Pryor show just didn't get the, uh, uh, a fair shake or something like this. This is, I think it's the strongest out of those three appearances. You know, the, the Donnie Marie, the uh, holiday special, and then Richard Pryor. I mean, the holiday special is magical. Yes. <laughs> there is no contesting. But, you know, uh, and, and Richard Pryor has the benefit of being only a few minutes long. But right. it's it's solid. It's really solid and funny. Well, it's it's a good balance, too, of being funny and Richard Pryor, but also being weird enough to still feel star Wars. Like I, I love the audio in the whole thing of just the random alien sounds and sci-fi sounds and stuff. They're like, yeah, they're they're not quite what you would expect. And they get pretty, pretty strange. It's got the whole package. And uh, obviously if people haven't seen it, go to YouTube, do a search, just search Richard Pryor, star Wars bar. You will find it. It's worth seeing. Put this on pause if you have to. Watch it for a few minutes and come back. Or leave us playing in the background. We don't want to risk people tuning out. Yeah, we'll have a link to be able to watch the skit in this episode's show notes. I'd like to think that if this was all canon, that this was a bar in Star Wars. And it's made like in Star Wars world. And it's made to look like, like a bar on Earth. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's it's Richard Pryor's version of Galaxy's Edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for the alien fans to come and, oh, I'm on another world. So what do you say we start going through this skit, start breaking it down minute by minute, alien by alien, and examining the Richard Pryor show Star Wars Bar skit for all of its beauty? First thing we see is a red neon sign that says Star Wars Bar. And just past that in the corner, we can see a Snaggletooth guy sitting there. And let's really talk about this Snaggletooth guy. So the the one of the two Snaggletooth tooth teeth Snaggleteeth <laughs> uh, the two Snaggletooth aliens uh, seen in the first Star Wars. The other one has lighter red hair that's uh, thinning and fuzzier up top, and a little different paint. Both of them are inside the bar, and both of them are also wandering around the streets of Mos Eisley. The masks for both still exist today, which is actually kind of cool. And uh, the costume from one of them exists and uh, happens to live with me. <laughs> but the so this one is is the one that would would eventually show up in the holiday special and become the the photo the on the action figure card. And uh, to me, that. It's weird. The the holiday special Snaggletooth has become the iconic Snaggletooth. Like that's what most people think of when they think of the alien, and that's the monk's haircut, that's the textured skin, the drool on the lip, and the the lower teeth showing, and all of that, and uh, the and the red rings around the eyes. All of that stuff came uh, clearly after this uh, Richard Pryor show special. So that's pretty. It's it's interesting. Like I said, this is. It's either this or the Vogue shoot that's that was his last look uh, before his makeover. I was really intrigued with his fashion. Uh huh. Like the vest and the coat, the cloak. Like you thought that yeah. was. It's like he's got like a little red riding hood thing on. And it's it's clearly made for a smaller person too. Like he's he's a big dude. Whoever's uh, wearing Snaggletooth this time around, and he's so, not hunchbacked anymore. So he had that fixed. Because, yeah, in the first movie, both of the Snaggletooths were hunchbacked, like profoundly, too. It was like there was a basketball in one of their shoulders. He, he should probably get that checked out. That doesn't, that doesn't yeah. look good. Right. What hump? You know? <laughs> so in this particular version of him, are these are the clothes he's wearing from any other films or other things? Or is this just a matter of they had a vest and a cloak somewhere and they threw it on him? Because some of the other aliens are wearing... Jackets from other films and things, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's there's Planet of the Apes wardrobe abound, which leads me to believe they went to Western Costume and just did rentals for this um, because that's where uh, that's where the Planet of the Apes stuff would have been. I, I'm not seeing anything that I'm identifying on, Snag- on Snaggletooth here. I do think his the vest could be something. It's sort of medieval, has a bunch of big things on it. It could also be a vest that someone got, uh, you know, from their costume department and threw a bunch of those on, um, you know, a bunch of big, uh, dome studs or something like that. I do like, yeah, you got the Don Rickles alien who's, (laughs) um, doing the sort of funky dance and he's got the, uh, he's got a planet of the apes orangutan jacket on. He's also got a bright white piece of gaffer tape holding the back of his mask together. Um, (laughs) 
That's a nice touch. <laughs> That's, he just cut himself shaving. <laughs> That's right. On the shaving the back of his neck. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I do have to say him him in the leather jacket is is the I think the best look of Don Rickles alien. Nice. He looks really good in the jacket. He does. He does. And he's wearing so he's got the orangutan jacket, but then he's got the gorilla Planet of the Apes gloves. Uh, and I believe somebody else has the same combo. Is it uh, the bat demon guy? The the devil? Yeah, he's got the same. I'm like scanning through as we're talking. Now. But yeah, he's got that same combo. He's got the Planet of the Apes uh, you know, orangutan Dr. Zayas kind of looking vest. And it looks like a pair of uh, gorilla gloves from Planet of the Apes. If not, he might just have regular gauntlet gloves. It's a little tough to tell. I need a higher quality copy of this, guys. Can we can we get that sorted? Can we get this on the next Blu-ray? Yeah, we were hoping you had a, a secret one somewhere. Yeah, like a 4K release. <laughs> the next alien we see is a cantina alien guy, like a bith, as the kids call it. And it looks like he's wearing like a bed sheet. What, what are your thoughts on uh, this bith with a bed sheet? I think uh, I, it's it definitely is uh, you know variety television budget uh, on the wardrobe um, <laughs> happens from time to time. He's got a small mouth. Whoever's in that is trying to get that shot glass uh, into the mouth. That's enough of a trick uh, if you're ever having to do that. He's got something under it. It looks like he's just yeah wrapped in robes and and a, a sheet or a, a blanket or something. <laughs> What do you think the chances are that some of these people, that's just what they wore to set and they just they just put the mask on them? <laughs> well, I, I don't doubt that some of this stuff, it's like, you know, they, they just got a few racks of wardrobe from Western. They probably pulled in a few racks of other stuff that maybe the costumer had, maybe the show had just in general. And, you know, threw stuff on people, put a mask on someone, mixed and matched real quick to see what worked. And then... Yeah, the band guy looked weird, and they were just like, uh, that blanket, throw that blanket on. <laughs> that's, that's always the way this stuff happens. This all just made me think, so the mass went somewhere, but the costumes didn't go with the mass? No, so the costumes were rentals both times around. Uh, the stuff in the UK went back to, um, was it Bermans and Nathans and, uh, which eventually became Angels, and then the, the U.S. stuff went back to Western. Um, you know, and most of the stuff that they were using in the U S was all just reused stuff from other films, things that were just in the Western, uh, wardrobe racks that they pulled out and, uh, randomly threw on people in much the same fashion, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, this alien will look good with that. Or where they get the goat alien there and they're just like, okay, put him in this outfit, sit him over here, take him out of that outfit, put him in this outfit, put him over there. <laughs> Give him the robe from Yamnos and put it over Terminal Man's robe and then put him over there. And by him, I mean her because it was a girl. Have some of these Cantina Band costumes, have they ever been found? Does anyone know where they are? They've never surfaced. The The problem with those is they look like they're, I mean, they're, they're absolutely off the rack. Uh, you know, they were, they were something that was just in the racks there. They're either chauffeur's jackets or short waiter's jackets or something along those lines that the costumer at the time just went through and was like, what do you have seven of? You know, it's like, I've got seven of these jackets and seven pairs of pants. Perfect. Get them. Let's go. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that's just, it's such, uh, it's such a 
plain sort of item that no doubt it went back into the rental stock. It probably was rented out for countless movies since then. No one having any idea what it was used for before. And, you know, who the heck knows what happened to it at this point? Uh, it, for all we know, could be still on a rack somewhere, uh, unlabeled, unknown, maybe among 40 other of the same jacket, never to be, never to be discovered. Would the same be said for like Greedo's costume, like like his vest? So now the Greedo stuff is interesting because that would have come over from uh, from the UK, and that must have been something where they knew they were going to be doing these close-ups, so they bought it from the rental house in the UK. Uh, and I know after the movie, George actually bought back some of the costumes from uh, the UK shoot. Uh, so that's how some of that stuff is in the archives now. So Greedo would have been one of those things where they got that specifically to bring to the U.S. for the shoots. But they must not have gotten the vest because the vest changes every time we see it. Uh, there was one vest in the U.K. shoot. There was a different vest when they did the close-ups with Maria de, de Aragon. She had actually a very long vest. They pinned it up. Uh, it was like a knee-length vest that she was wearing that, again, must have just – they went to the wardrobe house and said, we need a, a rusty orange vest see what they've got. Um, I believe it's different again here and, uh, it is different again in the holiday special. So nobody kept track of that vest. (laughs) (laughs) So in this, in the Richard Pryor one, the, other than the vest, is that a legit then Greedo under, undersuit thing, the jumpsuit? We don't get great looks at it, but from, from everything I'm seeing, that looks to be a legit undersuit trying to get a look at the vest to see like does anything in the vest look familiar Eh, it's too dark to be the maria one it could be the one from the holiday special but it looks too dark for that too but yeah that's definitely his uh, original jumpsuit and i'm sure then it would be the same jumpsuit that shows up in the holiday special and of course the devil guy here is wearing a planet of the apes gorilla vest speaking of vests Wait a minute. Is his jacket the same one with the stripes on the sleeves that the uh, the the bat demon guy who is in uh, the devil? Uh, he's got a real name and I'm terrible at that. Ariel Schluss, something like that. He's Arleel. He's got the guy with the red glowing eyes that they mm-hmm. cut out in the special edition because it's dumb. Um, so <laughs> he's uh, he is wearing uh, like just a plain '70s jacket. It's got black stripes on the arms, and I'm looking, and it feel it looks to me like that devil guy has the and. and Correct me if I'm wrong here. Does that devil guy have uh, black stripes on the arms of his jacket? Yeah, I think so. Gabe, what do you think? I'm examining the footage right now. Let me see. I don't. <laughs> I got my magnifying glass out here. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna guess, and this is this might we might be making some news here. No, but that does look like the same uh, jacket that the the bat demon guy wears in the holiday special, just under the. Um, the Planet of the Apes fest there. The collar on it looks similar to what Jaws Purr wears. This is riveting uh, radio for folks <laughs> listening to us. Like, it is. I wonder if once they like finished this, they had the holiday special planned, and it was all just like stored and moved from one thing to another. Right. Because like I said, there wasn't the Lucasfilm archives, so somebody, maybe Charlie Lippincott was just keeping it in the back of his car or something. 
I don't know that that specific jacket shows up in the holiday special, but I'm trying to see if there's anything with the devil guy that shows the inside of the collar. And if the inside of that collar is black and it looks like it is, I'm going to say that might be that same silver vest. That's just crazy. We always assume that vest was probably just off like a crew member or something, you know, because it's so clearly just a 70s jacket. Like it's got all the snaps and zippers and everything. So our next guy we see is it we call him Brain Guy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. With the, the lighting in this skit, we get a really good look at Brain Guy. It's a beautiful mask. That's one that uh, Rick Baker designed, and then he and Rob Bottin uh, together did the sculpt on it. Rob was like, I don't know, 17 or something at the time. Um, you know, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> Teenager working on Star Wars, whatever. Uh, Rob Bottin, total maniac. Yeah, insanely talented. Um, and um, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, let's just see here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much in sort of standard. Like it, it doesn't look like they changed him at all since, uh, Star Wars. I'm trying to get a look to see if he's wearing the planet of the apes gloves too, or just gauntlet gloves. He's just got a basic kind of robe on. It's funny. I mean, that's one of those looks that just always works in Star Wars, just dark Brown robe, throw a pair of gauntlet gloves on him. You know, it's a, it's almost like the vest with a belt over it. That's a great John Molo thing. Like get me like a safari vest with pockets and a belt over top. And you are just like instant 1977 Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Next people we see is a Greedo guy and he's talking to a devil guy in, they're having a very romantic conversation. Turns some, some romance here in the prior bar. <laughs> There's, there, there can be romance in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> What are your thoughts on uh, Devil Man here and the Greedo guy? So, I mean, love the Devil guy uh, made by Rick for uh, a John Landis movie that never got produced. It was something he did ahead of time just to get to, to give John like some concept art to show folks. The movie was to be called I Was a Teenage Vampire. Um, so I want to say that was made 73 or 74, a few years before. It was used then in Bob Burns's. Halloween special called The Thing in the Attic, along with the uh, bat demon guy with the red glowing eyes. And uh, Greedo, I'm 90% sure we're looking at the same Greedo that was, and yeah, just based on the turn of the um, the antenna, meaning that that's the one with the articulated antenna. So that's the mask that Doug Baswick modified to use in Star Wars for the close-up shots. And then it was used again in the holiday special as well. And yes, they do get a little bit romantic. <laughs> if you have kids at home, bring them up to the TV. Let them watch. Just, the, prior, the prior special has everything. It's got romance. It's got comedy. It's got action. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> it's got sports. Our next person we see is a hammerhead guy, and he's just laughing. He's having a good time. Based on, because I remember this from the uh, series of the Cantina panel of just how rough the hammerhead was in A New Hope. Is this, like, what's the story then with this one? Because this one looks in better shape. Yeah, so it's it's the same head. It looks like he's gotten a little fresh latex over top in a few places to hold them together. Maybe a little extra paint. They did, you know, rather than having a person hiding behind him and trying to operate him with a nice skinny body, it does look like they just made a massive body for him that you could hide a puppeteer in. Maybe two. I don't know how they've got 
that they've definitely somebody's definitely puppeteering the head. He's got some really cool head motion there. At some point, uh, Pryor goes to give him a drink later on, and he's he's moving the hands. I I would not be surprised if you've got more than one person inside of that thing, but it, it might just be the one. But yeah, it definitely looks massive. <laughs> like the body is just huge. Actually, it's funny the way the 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 draping sort of curtainy vibe of that costume reminds me a little of the overvest that Hasbro put on the first release of their Hammerhead figure. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that, like the yeah. 95 or 96 or whenever that came out. They made a Hammerhead figure and he had a separate vinyl sort of cloaky hanging vest thing that I immediately took off because what was underneath looked more like the first movie. It's almost got a little of that vibe, just big and round. The vest was for all the Richard Pryor fans at the time, I guess. Yeah, where's that figure? <laughs> Come on, Hasbro, get on it. Yeah. I want this to be the next HasLab uh, special, <laughs> the Richard Pryor Bars figure set. <laughs> Let's go up to Hasbro at Celebration and let them know that. So we just take Planet of the Apes reaction figures and then add the heads from the Hasbro Star Wars aliens. <laughs> like, your move, Hasbro. Yeah. So there wasn't like a creature department like Neil Scanlon has now. So was it like Charlie Lippincott, like on set, like telling people how to do stuff? Like, was do you think was he inside working this hammerhead thing? It's a good question, and I, you know, I, I'm try, I'm gonna ask around some more and see if anyone has some information on it because uh, my guess is uh, so a lot of this stuff would have gone back to uh, Rick Baker, so. My guess is after Star Wars, Rick takes all of his stuff back. Certainly the devil guy goes back to him. But the the way those contracts worked back then, they wrapped shooting. He took everything back. So all of this stuff would have been with Rick. And if they needed it for a show, they would have come to him to borrow the stuff back. And I'm guessing either you know Rick or someone that worked for him would have gone with to oversee everything and to make sure that the stuff wasn't damaged, that nobody, you know, put a bunch of tape on it or anything or, uh, but, uh, so that's, that's my guess. And I, I would imagine whoever's in that hammerhead would not surprise me if that's whoever the Wrangler was for the shoot or one of the, you know, one of the people, one of the effects guys that worked because, uh, they, they love to get that second bite at the apple and be the puppeteer as well. So Charles Lippincott didn't just have like a big garbage bag full of the masks that he just he brought from studio to studio, <laughs> just pours them out on the floor. Yeah, he's these. Our next guy we see is the infamous Don Rickles alien. So freaking good. Yeah, that's uh, Rob Bottin sculpt. I actually never knew who did that. So many of these you know people, we just had no idea who had done the sculpts. And it's only, you know, years later, you're, you're showing stuff to Rick Baker and stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's the Rob Bottin sculpt. I'm like, it is? <laughs> but it's, it's clearly, it's one of those, you know, young Rob channeling Rick. It's a very Rick design. It's a very Rick style paint on it. Um, but it's just so much character in that face. Love him. It's a real great close-up of that Don Rickles alien. And, of course, he does have the big piece of tape on the back of his neck, which you'll get a look at later. <laughs> <laughs> Gaffer tape fixes everything. Our next person we see is a very smoky look at Bat Wolfman. Bat Demon Guy, as Rick calls him. <laughs> yep. Without it doesn't look like his eyes are lit, uh, at least in that shot. Um he's got grain of wheat bulbs in his eyes, and they are painted black on the back so they don't blind the person wearing it. <laughs> um and 
the way to light the eyes was actually they had two open wires and they taped them to the performer's hand, uh, like his thumb and forefinger, so you could touch them together and light the eyes or, or turn them off. Uh, they were made for that thing in the attic uh, special, and it was the way that they did the lights on. Um, so the thing in the attic, Bob Burns' Halloween special, was based on The Exorcist, and they alternated Bob's wife, Kathy, and I want to say it was Elaine Baker at the time that were alternating as the um, the young girl character who's possessed, and she has red glowing eyes. And the way they did it was they hit on the palm, on the fingertips these two wires with some tape, and when they would touch them together, the eyes their eyes would light up. And they did the same thing for this mask. So this mask is still around now. Bob still has it, and the wires coming out of it are just two little raw wires. Amazing and totally safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's low voltage. <laughs> but the amps are what are going to kill you. Anyway, what were we saying? Our next guy, I don't know, who is this guy? I think I've always called him the snoot nose, snooty nose. Right. So yam nose is okay. like the crew name for him. I used to call him noodle puss for some reason. Like I didn't have a good name for him. We restored that mask uh, a few years back. It's it's really cool. It's all fabricated. Underneath that mask is actually a latex pull of the baby from It's Alive. Uh, yeah, It's Alive. So uh, it was something Phil Tippett fabricated, He but he needed just a foundation. Rick had the molds from It's Alive around. That's why those clawed hands, those two clawed hands are everywhere. Those are the baby hands from It's Alive. And there's shots of Rick's workshop for the cantina where you could just see the mold for the baby head, the mold for those hands. And so he would have, uh, somebody just pulled a copy out of that just as a foundation. Phil went over it with layers of polyurethane strip foam, just sheet foam like you'd find in a couch. And just layered it up with that until it was a cool shape. There's a Ralph Macquarie sketch that we believe is the inspiration for this guy. And it's weird because it almost looks like it might be an ins- uh, a, a sketch for Greedo, but it was done at the time after the first uh, cantina was shot and before this was shot. And other sketches in that same series are like one of The Given, one of Muff Tack, and it very vaguely resembles this. It's got a snoot, it's got little hairs coming off of it, eyes in a similar position. But Phil just, you know, he likes to call it just like this devilish creature, devilish things. You know, he he didn't have any sort of, there's not a lot of strong direction on this one. It looks like one of those ones where you just, you start throwing foam at something and just see where the foam tells you to go. It's a fun way to build, but it, at the shop when we were restoring it, the 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 nickname that the uh, the uh, I call them the kids who work for me because they're all like you know thirty and under they they were calling it a turd mosquito they were like it looks like some sort of mosquito turd I'm like all right I'm gonna go with noodle push but okay I love that the Star Wars connection to Larry Cohen's classic killer baby movie It's Alive exists that still blows my mind every time I hear about it. Yeah, that's an early Rick project. And, you know, that's people don't I think they don't realize effects guys, especially in that era, were pack rats and loved to recycle and reuse stuff. Um, You know, anywhere you could save yourself the time of making another mold because the budgets were not huge. Rick always jokes that 
so he was working on the incredible melting man at the same time as he calls it, you know, the much more famous and memorable incredible melting man. Uh, <laughs> but melting man paid him more than star Wars. And you just look at the volume of what his team put out for star Wars. And it's just like, Oh my God. But the way they did it was just really clever recycling and, you know, careful use of everything that they had. Remember Hank Am? He hit 714. This is the ball he hit it with. Yeah, I know Garbeck hit 4,000, but he had a laser bat. <laughs> this man hit it with a piece of wood. And what the hell do you know about it? Your brain's about to fall out your head. Finally, we get to the bar as our bartender, Richard Pryor, is explaining baseball to Brain Guy and a Duros who looks like he looks like he's wearing a button-up shirt. It does a little bit. I feel like he's got on some sort of like like mechanics jumpsuit or something like that. Uh, I could be wrong. Oh but well, I don't know. Yeah, no, that might just be like a button up shirt. Like yeah. he he does have the classic. Let's throw a scarf on him too, because that's that is anybody who's ever had to do masks on set for something knows that when the mask seam is showing in the back, you throw a scarf on the alien. But I do. I love the Duros. You know, it's really funny. The Duros is one of those few names from canon that sticks, even with guys who prefer crew names. You know, you don't get a lot of people going around goggle eyes or whatever on on the Duros. They're just like, no, those are the Duros. And I don't know why. It's weird. The species names, I think, bother me less than the specific alien names sometimes. Uh, Not that they even bother me. It's just they the species names I connect with a little better. Maybe it's just because of the West end games, uh, guide to aliens or something like that. You know, maybe that was the first time we saw names put to this stuff, but then other stuff, you know, brain guy, you know, it's just like, no, he's brain guy, devil guy. Yeah. It's totally devil guy, devil man, you know? Sure. Totally. Do you think that's because the Duros like never had like a counter action figure where they called him like, Big head man or something like that? Well, oh, yeah. Certainly, like, Hammerhead will never be anything but Hammerhead. You know, Greedo. Uh, I, it's funny, you know, there's... I, I usually... You know, okay, fine, they're Rodians, but I usually end up just calling them Greedo aliens if it's not Greedo specifically. You know? Um, Walrus Man is Walrus Man. Uh, Snaggletooth is clearly Snaggletooth, unless there's multiples. And then we're still not sure what the past tense or the what the the uh, right. plural tense on that is. I'm gonna have to gonna bring in like Pablo or Leland Chi or something. Like, uh, how do we? Maybe that's something we'll settle at this next Cantina panel. Do a show of hands. Um, <laughs> we did just settle, by the way. So anybody that is planning to come to that panel. Um, first off, thank you. Uh, but we, we did just settle. We are going to name another character after a member of the audience. Uh, so if you were at that panel, you have the opportunity to have your name, uh, in a star Wars way immortalized in star Wars canon and have the fun, fine folks at uh, Wikipedia update their entry minutes after our show, as they always do. It's one of the best things you can do at Celebration. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Even if you don't get named after something, you, it's the panel to be at. It's the whole reason to have Celebration, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, were, they called me first. Like, Tom, can you be in Chicago? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I like to think uh, that you, you guys are absolutely right. No, I... I <laughs> 
I have a blast doing it. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the, you know, it's been two years since the last one. Um, we've done since then two of them at Salt Lake City. Uh, in fact, we've actually done more than two of them at Salt Lake City because at Salt Lake, we've broken it into a two-hour format where you have one hour for the UK shoot and one hour for the US shoot and beyond. So there's been a lot of stuff we've dug up. I've now got to figure out how to pack this back into an hour for celebration. But my goal will be to put as much new stuff into it as possible. Um, We we recently uncovered a few new pictures in the Lucasfilm archives, image archives we're going to try and include. And it's it's going to be a real cool look at some rare, rare photos and, you know, deep, deep dive into (laughs) nerdery. Are there new photos of George Lucas sitting on things? <laughs> <laughs> not, not to give away any surprises. Um, that I mean, that's a picture that might show up. I, I don't re- remember if that did that make it into the the last one at Celebration. It must have. Yeah, that one I'll probably have to keep. I mean, it's too good. We we've uncovered a lot, and it's just it amazes me and delights me to no end that this many years later there is. Still stuff to discover. I mean, how how lucky are we to live in a time where we can just dig into this thing to that degree and still enjoy the hell out of it, you know? So then the Duros' wife calls. Yeah, Starbuck! It must be for you, said the Uglis. Yeah, your wife wants you to come home. He said, with the water, water, with the water, water, with the water. Okay. She said, water, go to water, get it, water, get it, water. She wants the Duros to go home. We get a good look at his hands, which are huge, huge hands. As is the cranium on that. Look at it in comparison to the brain guy. And the brain guy is not a small mask. Those masks are huge. It's one of my biggest pet peeves with the action figures. They always do them like he's got a normal size head that's just a Duro's head. And it's like, no, that that head is massive. So much noggin. I feel like there's a huge Duro's head at the the sci-fi museum or the the Mopop, I think they call it now, museum in Seattle. Um, Yeah, the one at Seattle that was uh, Tippett must have loaned that to them. I believe that's the same one he's still got in his office. Like I said, we learned that that hammerhead is in love. You in love? (laughs) And then we get the ultimate moment of the skit. In comes Fuzz, the bar security. Tom, take it away. This is one of, okay, so I let's start with the mystery of this before we announce our special guest. So this is years and years back, and we're, we talked about this before we came on the air, and maybe folks at home can answer this. So Fuzz, if you haven't guessed, is Muftak. But it's a very special type of Muftak. It's Muftak in pants. And... Of course, suspenders, because how does Muff Tack hold up his pants? But this image 
was not new to us watching this. So years ago, and I have found the image in the Lucasfilm archive. So like uh, the image archive. So they, this is an image that they released and it generally was released with the holiday special stuff. It is an image of the Muftak costume wearing suspenders and you just barely see the top of the pants. To me, it always looked like he was wearing like lederhosen or something. <laughs> you know, I just heard like an oompa band version of like the cantina band number two, you know, <laughs> That was for the German release of A New Hope? Uh, I, I That image was in my mind for, uh, for years. And I don't know. Maybe it's in that. Maybe it's in the, the West End games. It's well, I thought it was in the Chronicles, but I can't seem to find it there. Maybe it's in one of the, oh gosh, one of the Lucas books or maybe one of the ILM books. Maybe that's where it was. I don't know. Anyone at home, if you know where the image of Moftak wearing his suspenders you know, first debuted where we would have seen it please send us a comment tweet at us do something find us knock on our door well maybe not that but uh and uh, it's it is one of these images that when he walked out when richard Pryor calls for him in this show and he walks out wearing those suspenders i gasped the first time i saw it i was like holy shit that's where this came from pardon my language but it was that kind of moment and i that to me was just if there is one thing to come out of this special, it is solving that mystery of why is Muftak wearing suspenders in this one photo that we saw. And, and then there it is. So yeah. So, uh, uh, bartender Richard Pryor calls him out to, uh, to, to get some of the, the, the patrons in line. I told you don't touch me. I don't give a damn what you're doing. Don't touch me. Do you guys, uh, obviously you guys being the hip crowd that you are, know why Muftak has to wear pants. He never had legs, right? Correct. The costume stops at his like sort of waist level. And I mean, that's the perfect solution. (laughs) You get this costume and you're like, okay, well, we need him to walk around. He's only ever made to sit at a chair. Put some pants on him. Yeah. Like, get that guy pants. And we're done. Okay, my, my work here is done. The customer goes home. <laughs> it's like, you're on your own now. My part is done. I would say those could just be the guy in Muftak's costumes, pants he wore to the set. <laughs> <laughs> could you tuck that costume into your pants? Well, they've got to be pretty big because Muftak's got he's, – he's girthy. You know, he's got a big padded belly and stuff like that. It's not a small costume. But – yeah, those are those are just straight up, you know, natural. Pay. I got to tell you, you know, it's funny. We've got so we've got a Muftak costume that we've used in commercials. It's in our rental stock for for things like that. And I am so tempted to just bring that to celebration and throw a pair of pants on it and walk around <laughs> and just see how many people get it, you know? Because <laughs> I've always wanted to make him legs because uh, I just think that would be fun too. But now I'm like, why, why would I make legs? <laughs> I got pants. Put on the pants. <laughs> yeah. But you know what he needs? He needs the pants and the suspenders, but still like some big fluffy alien feet. Like <laughs> just sticking out like Beast from X-Men or something, you know? <laughs> I wonder if on the set they were like, we, we've got this, this top of this white fuzzy alien thing. 
and maybe they like tried to get just regular pants on him with a belt and that wasn't working. So then somebody was like, go, go get someone with some suspenders. And there you go. I I just like to think that off camera is the guy whose pants they borrowed. And there's just a guy watching them film it in his boxers because he had the big enough pants and the suspenders. So we just we got to take these. Yep. Yep. Again, at Celebration, we approach Hasbro demanding a Muftok in pants. Absolutely. Need it. Need it. Don Rickles alien doing some kind of funky chicken dance. Yeah, which is apparently some sort of courting thing or whatever from the, the dialogue. Like I don't, I don't quite get it, but yeah. whatever. We get a, another look at our our uh, our band guy, and then the devil, Devil Man, and Greedo talking to Pryor. Solid gold scene. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> And I love just the 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 Greedo guy making use of those fingers too. Yeah. Like he is working those like those fingers are really long. You know, like that's that's pretty awesome stuff there. You know, Greedo's fingers are one of my favorite things in the holiday special when he does his uh his funky hand jive with B. Arthur. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, you know, here's the biggest mystery. Uh, who who made the squid alien? Yeah, what what is that? <laughs> yeah, I have in my notes. What is this all underlined? <laughs> I mean, to me, it looks like it looks like it's fabricated out of sheet foam and just quickly painted. My guess would be the art department on the show made it. Because were they like all the all the other aliens weren't weird enough, so they're like we need we need a really weird alien. Um, he, yeah, he looks like is that a mouth? Oh gosh, you know what I'm just realizing too. When <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of Richard Pryor going down with Wonder Wheel in the toy, where he's just getting wrapped <laughs> up in it, you know, and he's clearly like he's pulling it, not the other way around. But uh, I just realized he knocks one of the suckers right off the arm when he's doing his, his move there, getting the, the tentacle around him. Yeah, to me, that looks like something the show's art department probably threw together. But uh, but it's still pretty cool. Wait, does it have eye- does it have eyes on its back? It does look like the top of it is like a, a giant face. Like, I feel like the, the front is a beak, a black beak. Um, and then, yeah, those are, those are big eyes up top. Like it's supposed to have a giant head. When Muff Talk starts to wrestle it. Yep. Do you think for this thing, they just like maybe dragged something out of like the NBC prop department? Maybe, maybe it was just something from like Land of the Lost or something. Yeah, certainly could be. It's, it's a little bit Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Like I, I actually wish that was something from the cantina. Like if you, like if we were at like a celebration panel and if you and Pablo discovered this guy like hanging out in a corner it would get like gas from the audience (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine yeah i'm waiting for that thing to turn up somewhere you know just just some somebody uh i i mean it's always amazing to me that 
so many of these these monsters are still around and so many of the masks and costumes and and things like that have turned up uh from especially from the first film you know the later stuff okay George held on to a lot of it. A lot of it went to the archives. There's still an amazing amount of stuff that's in private hands and stuff that just blows my mind every time. But that first movie, there's no reason that the stuff shouldn't have been thrown out. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I am so thankful that people who worked on the movie thought it was cool and was like, and just kind of went like, wait, you're throwing that out. Give me that, you know, Uh, because that it preserved this, uh, I, it's, to me, it's the, it's, you know, one of the coolest art forms of our time is the prop making and set design and these creature creations. Uh, and it's, to, these are the, these are things that instantly connect me to that film when I'm around them. And it's so cool to, you know, gosh, we've restored that Muff costume and I can't, I still, you know, I just think back to the first time I went and saw it over at Bob's, uh, Bob Burns's place and i just you know your mind doesn't doesn't process it almost you know it's like no that's not a replica that's not a costume someone made and you know it instantly these things have a boogadiness about them that's just <laughs> you, you, there's there is something there's a feel to the original props and masks that i very rarely have seen replicas capture and it's just so cool to be around the real stuff and it's, yeah, it's hard to put into words. I get, I get the goosebumps just talking about it. <laughs> Something I love about all of this and the prior skit and your cantina panels is that the, the creatures and the aliens, especially in the original Star Wars, was such a huge piece of the UK and the US shoot and the Rick Baker bringing in crazy It's Alive babies and how it all turned out to be so groundbreaking and that every Star Wars movie still reaches for that kind of wild imagination that just happened totally by chance. And yeah, and, and, you know, not any sort of a big set piece by way of action either. You know, there's, there's a little bit of a fight, uh, but it's, it's really, it's, it's background almost all of it. Nowadays, it's like, if you were going to have something like that, you'd have to have, uh, well, I mean, I guess like Canto Bite, you know, you get a big chase sequence going through it. Or if you look at, you know, any other movie that has any kind of big scene like that, they really, you know, just try and pull whatever payoff they can out of it, which is understandable. But to me, that was the cool thing about the way Star Wars did it is like so much in that movie, uh, like like the Dubak, you know, it's just there. It's just you. It's shot almost like it's a documentary, and it's like, oh yeah, that's that's a do back. We have those, you know. Like there's no, like, hey, cool, look at this awesome do back. It's just bom, 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 and you pan away, and there it is, you know. <laughs> like he's hanging outside the outside of the cantina, and it's just, uh, it is very much. Uh, it's I guess that just goes back to that that style that george really liked back then and the stuff he was doing where it was you know he wanted to shoot this in a way it's it's very documentary-ish you know it's not super polished it's not over the top in terms of the sequences it's uh it just makes you feel like you're there (laughs) 
Yeah, we talked about how Star Wars Celebration is right around the corner. Tom, what can you share with us with your plans there with panels, Regal Robot? You're going to be a very busy person that weekend. Oh, boy, yeah. And I'm going to be a busy guy until that weekend. Um, So let's see. We have a ton of stuff going. So Cantina Panel. Uh, I will also be on uh, Gus Lopez's original props and wardrobe collecting panel uh, once again, which is always a really good time. And this time around, we're doing that. uh, If I remember right, we're doing all audience questions this time. So please come to it and please think of uh, questions for uh, what's going to be a panel of very cool uh, guys and me, um, all of whom collect original movie props from the Star Wars movies. And uh, those guys have some amazing stuff and they're all just so uh, deep into this stuff the way we are, uh, you know, and and literally sort of Indiana Jonesing their way through (laughs) this stuff and discovering and uncovering old bits of history. Um, I will also be on a panel on... I believe it's Friday. I don't have a time yet, but uh, that will be the uh, Lucasfilm Collectibles panel. And I'll be talking about some of the stuff that's coming up with Regal Robot. Regal Robot will have a booth. Uh, We'll have a nice 10 by 20 corner booth right near the Star Wars show stage. We will have so much cool stuff. (laughs) A lot of it is still in the works. We have uh, our... Phil Tippett signature edition Tauntaun uh, replica, uh, which is based on Phil's concept maquette that uh, is was there's one of those things that I saw the images of in the Chronicles books years ago. There's there's two or three pictures on the bottom left of a page of the it was the concept sculpt of the Tauntaun. And it just blew me away at the time. And to now have gotten Phil still had the original mold. We got a casting from that original mold from Phil. We got his blessing to uh, use that as the master for our run. Uh, So we're making replicas of that piece. Phil also signed little plaques to go with them. And those will be, uh, those are being made right now. We've had our production samples and they're amazing. So we will have those for people to buy at the booth. We'll have the first 25 pieces at the booth, and then people can order them after those sell out. Uh, We will have a celebration-exclusive item, a convention-exclusive, that is uh, our first magnet. Uh, It is going to be a really cool, very us sort of magnet. I won't spill the beans just yet as to what it'll be, but it's a really cool little bit of uh, decor from the Star Wars universe that is one of my favorite things. I'll just say it's one of my favorite things from Jabba's Palace, interpreted as a little magnet, and it's just super cool. It's going to be 20 bucks. We'll probably have about 200 of them, so get to the booth early um, and, and pick one up. Then we will have our Chewbacca bust, life-size bust. Also, will be just all of this stuff will be available. Uh, that's the first day any of this stuff is available. And... Our space slug desk organizer uh, for anyone that's ever wanted to have a little section of asteroid on their desk with a space slug popping out that you can stick your pencils in his mouth. And that will also be first time that's available anywhere. We will have a desk chair version of our emperor throne, which we are getting our final prototype in the studio in two days for me to do the photos for. And I'm super excited. It's scaled down from our big living room chair version. It has rolling wheels on it. And I think a lot of people are going to have like 
you know, ultimate power in an executive <laughs> desk kind of sense. Ultimate, unlimited, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we will probably have a few other surprises. There might be a life-size statue at our booth that folks will want to take pictures of. We, with... 2019, we have started to do life-size statues, life-size busts. We have a lot of amazing stuff in the works. I, right now, we have three life-size statues going as custom one-off projects for people. We have one uh, one-to-one puppet model that's going as a, a one-off for someone. We've got a one-to-one bust that we're doing based on a Macquarie sketch for another customer. Um, so really, just a couple months into the year, and we're already getting these amazing people coming out of the woodwork and asking us for really obscure, really cool stuff. Uh, and I could not be more excited about it. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> well, that all sounds so awesome and we cannot wait to help share. We're going to share all that information with everyone on all of our, our Facebook group and our social media and spread the word about the greatness that's going to be going on there. And yeah, if anybody wants a sneak peek, go to regalrobot.com. There's some sneak peek photos of the Tauntaun model up already. Uh, and just follow us at Regal Robot on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We'll be teasing out pictures and we'll be announcing that convention exclusive pretty soon. We'll have a post up, a blog post on our site about the uh, the various specials. That's another thing I didn't even mention. There'll be a bunch of stuff that you can get at uh, celebration-only prices. So um, we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to give fans an opportunity to pick up some really cool stuff at our booth. Awesome. We cannot wait. the Star Wars creature Cantina that you put together. Action figures each sold separately. You can make them move on revolving discs with the action lever. You can even make them fall. Got you, Hammerhead. Got him. I told you not to follow me, Guido. You owe us money, Han Solo. You're not going to collect this time. Wow, what a weird place. Kenner's new Star Wars creature Cantina. Action figures sold separately. these last points too accurate for sand people only imperial stormtroopers are so precise So iTunes reviews, we say it every single week. When you're done listening, head over there to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever, and write a little something, and we will read it on an upcoming show. And don't forget to check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Sign up for the Blast Point Super Chill Group on Facebook. And if you like the show and want to help out, Make sure you sign up for our Patreon, and you can help the show and get a few extra episodes each month. Yeah, and we just had commentary for Star Crash on there. I think <laughs> just a few days after this episode comes out, we're going to have our Patreon Captain Marvel episode. And 
Tom, have you, have you made any ever made any Star Crash related items over there at Regal Robot? Uh, no, but I think I know what license we're going after next. Yeah. There's some pretty sweet chairs in there you could make. There's yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And there's, <laughs> there's a cool the, there's like that. Oh gosh, is he brown? The robot in that is he like rusty or something? It's been a long time since I've seen it. I remember so Hasselhoff's in it. It's Carolyn Munro in that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, at the Earth's core with Peter Cushing and and uh, McClure, Doug McClure. I wanted to say Troy McClure from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. So I forgot that she was in Maniac with Joe Spinell. Who's the bad guy in Star Crash? That's hilarious. No, I I didn't know that. So it's funny. Maniac is one of those movies I knew because Tom Savini did the effects for it. And I had Savini's book was like my first effects teacher when I was learning how to do makeup and stuff. So that was um, that was how I knew the movie Maniac. And it's. Uh, there's a guy in the cantina we always call, uh, or at least I've always called Mr. Gazzo, because he just, he looks like Joe Spinell when he's in Rocky, where he's got the mustache and everything. He's this guy, he's wearing a similar jacket to what Luke wears in the ceremony at the end. He's up at the table near the front with a real grumpy looking guy. And we have no idea who played this guy. That's one of those few mystery humans where it's like, we have a really good look at what this guy looks like, but we can't find you know, we, we have no idea who played him. Maybe it's Joe Spinell. That's what I think it must have been. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, blast points. Freeze frame, credits roll. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much. Always such a joy having you on. And yeah, everybody go check out Regal Robot online. Check them out on Twitter. Check out their website, like he said, and start making your plans to go visit him at Celebration. My pleasure. It's always, a, always such a good time chatting with you guys. And I mean, when somebody calls and says, hey, would you like to get on the phone and talk about the Richard Pryor show holiday uh, Star Wars bar sketch for an hour and a half? All right. (laughs) (laughs) If you twist my arm, maybe I'll talk about it. Exactly. I'm talking about it every day, all week to everybody, but I'll I'll find more time. You mean, so this time I've just got to do it and record it. Okay. That was absolutely my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Bye-bye. And thank you again. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Oh, wait, sorry. I'll give you a regular one, too. You use whatever you want. Nagama pants. Nope, that's worse. I'm going to just go with the... All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Tom's like, okay, guys, I got to go. Yeah. No, no. Enough. Every, every saga has a beginning, guys. Right. Uh, but, uh, May the force be with all of you.